their responsibility. And we're grateful for the, for the men and women that are uh, uh, a part of our eldership team. And, and this summer, this whole summer has been a really a, such a year of, or summer of, of um, setting in new things, transition. And we've been restructuring our eldership team. And, and that's what I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about. If you uh, show the next slide, what exactly do elders do? Elders oversee and govern the local church in all matters of doctrine, ministry, morality, church discipline, and financial integrity. And that's what this team does. And they're amazing in what they do. Their role is to serve and co-labor with the senior pastor and staff to ensure the spiritual health and the vision and mission of our church. You know, there are several places in Scripture all throughout the Bible that speaks about eldership, speaks about those that, that are set in to, to feed the flock of God. And, and there's a couple of things. Just, I, I, I put down a couple of things here just so that you give a little bit of an idea. The scriptural function of elders is to oversee the church, to be a watchman for the church, to be aware of what's happening, what's going on. Uh, be aware of the needs of people, what's going on in their life, student of the word, teacher of sound doctrine. Also, the, especially in the descriptions of elders in Timothy and Titus, it's really important to see as you read through that, you find that it deals with, it deals with the, the heart and the character of an elder. Uh, there's only one place in that whole thing that talks about their gifting. The, the ability to teach. But everything is about how you live your life, how you live your life before your family and leading your family, and how you live your life in leading the church and the character that you have. So it really comes down in First Peter 5. It talks about being an example in all one is, says, and does. Go on, a couple other things, a protector, a caretaker of the church, scriptures about that. There's various scriptures about being a, leader in worship, in giving, and encouraging, and comforting, counseling at home and in the church. And then uh, in Joshua 1, verse 1 through 6, talking about the leaders that was a part of the part of Israel to be a person filled with the Holy Spirit and of faith who rises to the challenge. And uh, so these men and women are people who are people that have again and again, they've risen to the challenge, risen to the challenge. And what we've done in the past, uh, uh, ever since we started the church back in 2000, we've always had an eldership team, and it's looked different and has had different people on it. Usually we have opportunity where people are, they come on, they're ordained to be an elder, and they can, they can roll off after two or three years or whatever, let someone else to come on. So we've had t- different people in the church. I look at, at Bob. Uh, Barkley there, Bob was part of our eldership team at one time and different ones. And so, um, but one, one thing that we 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 had done in the past is where the eldership was that they, uh, they, they had responsibility for all things. And when you begin to find out everybody's gifted differently, right? Some people are more gifted and have a heart in more in, in this area or that area. And so what we've done is that we have separated our eldership team into two uh, areas. One is the what we call the governance or legal board, and the other one would be the pastoral ministry board. 
and it gives people that really where their giftings are, their passions are, to be able to, to be involved in that area. And that's something new that we're doing. And I just want to take a moment here to give you an idea of what, what the governance or legal board, actually, what they actually do. And being governance or legal, they would take care of a lot of the corporate matters of our church. So go to the next slide if you would. There we go. Uh, the writing is a little small, but they're to co-labor with the pastoral board in matters of oversight, management of the church, to manage and represent all legal and corporate affairs of the church. Very important. Uh, they, they're involved in the final approval of purchasing and selling a property. They co-labor with the financial committee of Harvest Renewal Church. Um, go on to the next slide, please. Uh, any, we have our financial budget. They do the final approval of that. Final approval of hiring and dismissal of church staff. They approve decisions of staff and pastoral disciplines when that is ever needed with the Apostolic Council of, of Harvest Renewal Church. And they defend, support, and protect the integrity of the Harvest Renewal pastors and other things. That's just a, a few things that they would be involved in and doing. So I just want to make sure that you understand kind of exactly. Then we have the pastoral or what we call the ministry board. And uh, they also, they will be co-laboring with the governance board. There, uh, uh, there will be uh, those that will be involved in teaching, but more important, teaching by living a godly lifestyle. Amen. To be active in prayer and ministry in the life of the church, to be a support, encouragement, covering for the church staff, our ministry directors and leaders of the church. Next slide. To defend, protect, support the integrity of the pastoral team church, to be a source of counsel, advice, and a pattern of discipleship for the members of Harvest Renewal Church, and once again, to support the integrity of the present and future mission and vision of Harvest Renewal Church. We do have out in foyer kind of copies of this little outline. If you, When you leave today, if you'd like to take one home, you can look over it. But once again, this is just some of the, uh, I didn't list down everything, but some of the the responsibilities of this team, and each team or teams will be meeting during the month or, 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 on a rot- or on a regular basis. And so next week, we're going to be uh, recognizing these that are going to be operating in this position in our church. And some are already, some are, have already been, they're part of the eldership team. And they'll continue. But I just want to let you know who those people are. The governance board will be myself. Uh, once you, when I call your name out, just stand up if you're here. David Halcombe. Here's David. Mike Coleman. Here's Mike. Mike says, Joshua Narenda. I don't know if Joshua. There you are, buddy. I see you. And then, uh, actually, uh, Bill Bennett, who's part of our apostolic council, uh, we want it. Y'all stay standing, okay? We want, uh, You'll be doing a lot of standing as you, you go forward here. Bill Bennett is uh, is an amazing pastor, planters of churches in South Africa and here in the States. And he's going to be on this team as an extra local elder, especially in major decisions to, to be a part of that. So I'm really excited about that. I think that's very important to have someone of Bill's caliber as a part of the governance board. And, uh, and so, uh, Mike and Joshua 
are ones that we'll be ordaining next Sunday, and and, and all will be setting in. Now, our pastoral board, uh, I I get to serve on both, and because uh, I have so much time, and I get to build. It. All I do is I, I I show up on Sundays and I play golf. That's that's actually I haven't played golf in years, but uh, but I'll, myself and David Halcom, we are going to be serving on both boards. But uh, Cindy, my wife, is a part of this pastoral board. Rifle Skitta is one of our staff pastors. Uh, Manuel Gonzalez, Artem Abramov, Wayman Bishop. Is Wayman here this morning? There you go. I can, I was, I've been trying to see, find you guys, and I couldn't see you. You're right here in front. Wayman has been a part of our eldership board in the past. Uh, well, he went through his surgeries and things like that, and he's a whole man again. So uh, he's back on and serving, and we were really excited about Wayman. Uh, he's an amazing man, has been serving on our eldership team for how many years, buddy? 200 years. <laughs> it seems like that sometimes, doesn't it, Wayman? <laughs> and then Paul Smith, Paul's all the way in the back back there, but excited about Paul being a part of this. So I just want to take a moment before Manny comes up here. Manny, come on up here, buddy. And you may can be seated. But next week we're going to formally be setting them then, ordaining them, praying over them, uh, receiving their their uh, their checks. And uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, we are so excited about the 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 eldership board and what we're doing as we're moving ahead and. I believe the the additional elders and people just is going to provide uh, such uh, stability and security for our church, and very very excited about it. So praise God, Amen. Amen. You all excited? Okay, good. Thank you. I know this is a little bit of called church business, and uh, but uh, just wanted you to be aware. I think it's important for y'all to know what's happening, what's going on, especially at the leadership structure in our church. And so, uh, it's great. All right. All right. Manny, Good to go. you ready, buddy? Yes. Let's welcome Pastor Manny. Yeah, got it. All right. Amen. 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 Um, yeah, if you guys want to uh, give a special offering to any of the elders, you can go ahead and do that after the service. <laughs> All right. Amen. It's a blessing all the time to, uh, to be a part. First, first of all, it's a blessing to be a part of such a great work that God is doing here. Give God a strong hand clap for everything he's doing here. Amen. 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 Well, I always uh, start off with some church bulletin bloopers. Those are my favorite. These are like your church bulletin, uh, misspells, and all types of stuff. But there's some real funny ones. And I found these uh, last night, and I said, I got to share this with the church. Uh, this is a good one. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. I hope we don't relate to the next one. During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good message. 
<laughs> Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors in the side entrance. <laughs> at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Last but not least, ushers will eat the latecomers. <laughs> Church bulletin bloopers, all right? All right. Anyway, well, today uh, God has g- given me the mandate, I guess, to come in here and bring about a message that's been on my heart. We're going to continue this sermon series that we're continuing off of. It's called Living a Powerful Life. Amen? And so everyone has been bringing little things that, and big things that affect your life as a spiritual Christian. And what God is asking us to do to live a powerful life. How many want to live a powerful life here today? Amen. So today I'm going to be talking about deliverance from the curse. Amen? Deliverance from the curse. Somebody say, deliverance from the curse. Amen. Well, there's a, a, a powerful, powerful example of what I want to bring. And, you know, if you look in your bulletin, you see Jesus' uh, mission statement, so to say. And that's in Luke 4.18. But I'm not going to be reading from that as the main scripture. But that's Jesus' mission statement, you know. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that I may preach the good news to the poor, that I may liberate the captives. So... Yeah, it's right in the bulletin. So you can see, you liberate the captives. I want to focus on that for a second. But my main text is going to come from, go ahead, go to slide one. Main text is going to come from Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 onwards. Okay? Now, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishkak. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Died in Haran. Now, there's a couple of things there that I want to talk about. First of all, on their way to Canaan, they made a pit stop. Uh, they were on their way to Canaan, but they made a pit stop, and they made a pit stop, and they stood there. So it's important that you see that, that they stood stagnant in a stop, even though they were supposed to be going forward. Amen? So what happened here, and what we see here, what I see here very, very vividly, is that Terah is Abram's dad, and Abram becomes Abraham later on, if you don't know who he is. But Abram's dad is Terah, and he had a brother by the name of Haran. And Haran 
was the name of the city that they stood in. So on the way to Canaan, he stays stuck in a city named after his son. And he stays stuck there, I believe, because he stood stuck in his past, in his hurt, in his bitterness, and whatever else was that he held about his son. Instead of moving on to Canaan, he stood stuck there, and the Lord had to intervene after he died. He stood stuck there, and he died there. Even though he was supposed to be in Canaan, he died in Haran. Even though he was supposed to move on, he died in a stuck place, in a stagnant place. I know there's sometimes us, as Christians, we're moving on to our destiny, walking forward, trying to get there to where God is saying we need to get to, and we stay stuck in a place of our bitterness and past. We stay stuck in a place that God never asked us to stay stuck in. And so God is saying it's time to move on to Canaan, and what we do is we stay in Haran. And the Bible says that Terah died there. Now, he lived 205 years. I wish we would live that long, but he lived 205 years. And in those 205 years, out of those 105 years, he had an opportunity to leave Haran and to keep going on to Canaan. Now, let's go to chapter 12 of Genesis. Go to the next slide. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your great name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, curse him that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram, what did he do? He departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Thank God that God intervened at 75, and it wasn't 205 years old. Why am I showing you this? There's two things here that you want to see, or three things here. Go to the next slide real quick. And it says here, the next slide after that. Okay, stop. Go back. Sorry. Go back. It says here in Genesis 9, 25, it says what? Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be he to his brothers. Now, this is interesting that God is leading them to Canaan, even though it's named after a cursed son of Noah's son. Do you remember when Noah was drunk and naked in a cave? His son Ham went in there, and instead of recovering his father, made fun of his father, made fun of his father and his drunkenness, and walked out, and thus he became cursed. The Bible says he cursed not him, but he cursed, he says, cursed shall be your son, Canaan. Now, I believe that God was leading Abram to this place to redeem that curse. Why? Because he said, I will make you a blessing. You shall be a blessing. If you go back to Genesis 12, there's some things that I want you to see here. First of all, God tells him, get out of your country and from their kindred, or from your father's house, and to a land I will show you. And then, verse 2, he says, and I will make your name great. So there is a condition to obedience. Are you understanding this? Abraham obeys, or Abram obeys God's call, 
and obedience to his word brings the end to come to pass. The end, verse 2, will only come to pass if you get out from that country and walk out of your father's house. You see that? I will make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing if you do this. The end is a condition of obeying God's word. So when I walk out in doing what God told me to do, number one, Abram obeyed God's call and obedience was the initiation of him walking into the next level that he needed to walk to. Amen? God said, do it. He said, okay. He didn't question God. He didn't ask God, what what was it all about? Why did he have to do it? Where am I going? How am I going to do it? He just obeyed God. Obeyed God. Somebody say with me, obedience. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. We can do a thousand and one things to prove that we're Christians or good people, but there's nothing like obeying the word of God. Obedience will initiate the next level that God wants you to go into. Obedience, the minute that he departed, the Bible says right here, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. The initiation of the blessing. God has him leave his father's house, and there it is. The second point that I want to make here is deliverance from the past and complacency. When you walk out of your past and complacency, you're actually making a decision to follow hard after God. You're actually making a decision to be obedient to his word. When Jesus actually would look at the disciples and any one of them, no matter what they were doing, Jesus' voice would always say the same thing. Follow me. There was no condition set up about what would happen if they followed. He didn't explain to them why they should follow. He just said two simple things. Follow me. At once he told Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. Because he knew that Peter was caught up in his business. But he said, if you follow me, then you will convert business into a business of finding people for Jesus. Amen? So here's the thing. God gives him a condition for following his order. And that condition is, if you follow me, guess what happens? You'll become a a blessing to the nations. Many people will call you blessed. Matter of fact, he doesn't even go that far. He goes even further. He says, he says, and check this out. All families of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you know who that is? You and I. Because of Abraham obeying God and saying, I'm going to walk out into the, into the obedience of God, and I'm going to do what God says, God put a blessing, and the blessing was the promise, and he said, I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to be delivered from my past, from my family, from everything. His family was idolaters. Go to Joshua. Go to the next slide where Joshua chapter 4. God was leading Abram to Canaan to redeem the land from the curse. And this is way before the redemption of Jesus Christ. The obedience and the faith was leading him to deliver and to walk in the blessing. The redemption of this land does not happen until 430 years after Abram. So it, it, it makes me question, why did Abram do it? If he knew he wasn't going to get the fruition of it while he lived. 
Somebody say with me, generational blessing. I love people talk about the generational curse. I want to talk about the generational blessing today. There is a generational blessing that he was concerned about. He was not concerned about uh, what would happen right then and there. He was more concerned about what would happen with his, his generation coming up after him. So in Joshua 24, Joshua stands up and he begins to prophesy. Because you know he's prophesying because he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. He says, Your father dwelt in the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, who is the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Why did God tell him to leave his father's house? Because they were serving other gods. They did not know God. It makes you wonder, how did Abram know that that was God's voice? How did he just obey a voice that came out of the sky and tell him to move when it was so much easier to be complacent and stay where you are? It's so much easier to just, just, just form to wherever you are right now and take your situation and just say, I'm comfortable here and I don't need to move from where I'm at. But God wants to challenge us and he will always challenge you and have you obey against the grain. Obedience will lead you to deliverance. Deliverance from what? A certain mindset. You know, when you come to God, I believe that you, you are born again. That your spirit, there's nothing wrong with your spirit right now. There's absolutely nothing wrong with your spirit. When you came to God, God, his spirit came into you and revived your spirit. Your spirit is perfect. It is totally perfect. But there's something called the soul. Your mind, will, and emotions. And for years, your soul has been being programmed by the world, by the way to think, by, this, by Satan's way of thinking. And for years, your soul has been totally programmed. So now, the Holy Spirit is in your life to try to reprogram your soul to believe God for what he says right now. So a lot of times, we struggle. That's why in Galatians 5, it says that we, the, the, there's a wrestling going on between the soul and the spirit. Between the soul and the spirit. Why? Because you're struggling to try to grasp that what God is saying is truth. Because you're so used to doing it your own way and believing it your own way. So your mindset has to be delivered. So in order for your mindset to be delivered, you have to walk out. Not only walk out. I put it this way. Joshua is telling the people here, and he's saying, and then he starts explaining to them. In verse 4, he explains to them. He said, and I gave to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and gave Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. You see that? That, I believe, is salvation. God brings you out of that. That's salvation. But then, the whole time in the wilderness, they're still thinking like slaves. They're still saying, let's build a golden calf. Maybe this is the way out. Maybe this is the way out. Oh, why are we here? When we were in Egypt, we were getting whipped, but we had better food. So the wilderness experience 
is a deliverance experience. God is trying to shake them up and get them into a mentality of faith and say, I made a promise to Abraham that you will have this land, and if you walk into it right now at this moment and believe it, it's yours. But what should have been an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year experience because people were still bound. Your biggest enemy is not Satan. believe that Satan gets blamed for things that have a lot to do with our own mentality. When God tells you, walk into something, have you obeyed God at the moment? Because at the moment that you obey God, chains will fall off. You know, you can, you, can, you can look at Lazarus as an example, and the Holy Spirit is giving this to me. This is fresh off the press. You can look at Lazarus as an example. He comes out of the grave, but he's still bound. He comes out of the grave, but he's still bound. Just because you got saved doesn't necessarily mean you have been unbound. But God, Jesus tells the disciples, go to him and unwrap him from all that stuff that's around him. Discipleship. Start training somebody. Start teaching them the word. Start teaching them how to move. Start teaching them how to live. And so Joshua is explaining to them in everything in this whole two, in this whole 17, 18 verses, he's telling them how he delivered them from bondage. If you go to the next slide in verse 17, for the Lord our God that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Go to the next slide, please. Next one. Thank you. They didn't fit on all the slides. Next. From the house of bondage. At which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us. When God delivers you, he preserves you. And they went among and among all the people through whom we wished pass, and the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelled in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is God. I believe that there's a, there, there's a system that God has. You obey his word. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus is, Christ, is Lord, that you shall be saved. And then now... God is saying, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is a deliverance process of the way you think. It is so hard for me to explain to somebody about faith who doesn't know God. Because they'll say, why are you believing in something you don't see? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Abraham was there in, in Canaan prophetically to make a way for the deliverance and for the blessing. He was making way not only for Joshua and the children of Israel, but he was making a way for the generational blessing, which is called Jesus Christ our Lord. He stood in the middle of a place that wasn't even his, built tents there, and he moved around there, and he said, one day, one day, this will be ours. One day, you'll see the blessing here. 
And they probably all thought he was crazy. But Abraham was able to stand in the promise because he knew his seed had the promise. And guess who was that seed? Jesus was that seed. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56 through 58, go to the next slide. Your father Abraham rejoiced, go to the next slide please, rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Why did Abraham stay so long in somewhere where he was not going to see the fruition of it? Because he saw it before it happened. He stood because he saw Jesus. He stood because he saw the day that Jesus would die on the cross and release us from the curse. He stood because he saw the day that Jesus would come to this earth and release us from the curse. He stood because he knew that Jesus was the sea and was the promise. Then said the Jews to him, you are not yet 50 years old and yet you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before there was even Abram, there was Jesus. Jesus is the seed that Abram was contending for. Stepping up to the challenge was the seed. Joshua came in and walked in the deliverance. And he said, we will have this country. We will have this thing. But there is an almighty God who will live here and who will be here. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. He let them know we cannot have other gods. We cannot have other things taking up our priorities. It has to be God and God alone. And he's first and foremost on everything we do. And, his, and we obey his word. And by obeying his word, we'll see all of this come to pass. And we'll continue in the strength of his, his glory. Amen? Here's the thing. This has not changed. I believe that some people think, well, I'm saved now. I can do as I please. I can walk as I please, I can talk as I please, and I can live as I please. I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. That's fine. It's all good to believe in Jesus. But Jesus said, he who believes in me obeys my word. It's as simple as that. If you want to believe in Jesus, you obey his word. His word is the truth. In when I look at Jesus and I look at his deliverance ministry, go to the next slide, please. I look at Luke 13, verse 10 through 17. The next, next slide. There it is. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues. Where was he? He was in church. He was teaching in what was equivalent today as a church in the synagogue. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. So she was, she was sort of hunchback. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, as most religious people do, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, there are six days in which a man ought to work in them. Therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his, or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to watering? <laughs> King James Version. <laughs> Verse 16, though, caught my 
attention. And ought not this woman be a daughter of who? She's a daughter of Abraham. She should be walking in the blessing. Because the Bible just told me that Abraham's seed was blessed. And that the families of the earth should be blessed. So she's a daughter of Abraham. She should be walking in the blessing. But she's coming to the church years, 18 years, and she's still bound. She was receiving a religious order. She was receiving religiosity. She was receiving tradition. She was receiving everything, thinking that would be the answer. But the truth shall set you free. The truth, when she met the truth, the truth set her free. She was healed, and the Bible says this, Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? And he said, on the Sabbath day. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Amen? Jesus' mission statement was what Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach what? Deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Has Jesus' mission statement changed? Has the church's mission statement changed? Our mission statement should always be what Jesus' mission statement is. If we call ourselves Christian, we're little Christ, we're, we're, we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, then our mission statement should be the same mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and is not only upon us, it's in us, because he has sent us to preach the gospel to the poor, and has sent us to heal the brokenhearted. Not only to heal the brokenhearted, because after they're healed, we need to deliver them because they're captives to their own mentality. And after that, let's recover their sight because they've been blind for so long. And then let's set them at liberty because they've been bruised by a a system and a mentality for too long. And then we can teach them how to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you know that the word deliverance there comes from a word aphesis, which means to release from bondage or imprisonment. But the second one there, and Rifle would appreciate this, I am using the uh, Greek Strong's definition here, Rifle. The forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. Remission of the penalty. The remission of the penalty. Do you know, I know a lot of Christians that come to Christ and they still think that the penalty is there. They still believe that they are going to be penalized. Do you know, anything that is brought to you, not out of the goodness of God, will not work. So if salvation was brought to you because of fear and you came to Christ's fear-based gospel then that salvation is not going to work for you. But if the salvation that you received was because of the goodness of God and because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, then you come into salvation knowing that you have been redeemed. 
You've been redeemed. Now, I believe that the deliverance, number one, that needs to happen in every Christian is the mentality of us receiving that we have been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. There is a deliverance from and a preservation preservation of or protection from, but deliverance is the release from bondage. It's the remission of the penalty. Salvation is like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, but the deliverance is when God says, okay, let's break down this idolatry. Let's break down this. Let's break down that. Move into this. Move into that. I give you manna. I give you, I give you fowls of the air. I give you this. I feed you from heaven. I'm teaching you that I am your God. And you start getting a mentality like we can do it because I know that God is above all. We can do it because I have faith in God and what he can do. Now read, read Galatians chapter 3 with me really quick. Verse 16 through 29. And I know this is very lengthy with scripture, but I'll finish up. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not, and two seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed were the promises made. He said not, and two seeds as of many, but as of one. But he said, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ... The law, which was 430 years after, cannot cancel that promise. Are you listening to this? The law, which came out of disobedience in the desert while God was trying to deliver them, he had to give them the law in order to show them where they were going wrong. But that law was not the thing that was going to lead people into the pure salvation of God and redemption. It was the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham is faith, Moses is law, but Abraham's promise nullifies anything that the law will try to bring, and it brings about, God says, I'm going to bring this about because I made a promise to Abraham. That's powerful. Everything that happened was because I made a promise to Abraham. Moses came because I made a promise to Abraham. They were delivered out of Egypt because I made a promise to Abraham. Jesus came because I made a promise to Abraham. Listen to this. Let's go to the next slide. I believe there it is. Why then serve the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by the angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been A law given which could have given life, truly righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Somebody say believe. Believe. Do you know the only difference in certain Christians between other Christians is the belief system? Are we all saved? Yes. Are we all saved by grace? Yes. But there's a big difference sometimes in the way I believe and in the way you believe. There was a lot of times in the Bible Jesus would say to someone and say, your faith have made you whole. Because Jesus would make somebody whole, but it was something different about someone who walked with faith. When he encountered faith, he would immediately recognize faith. There was something about belief in him 
that would change the situation. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has opened up your eyes. Your faith has healed your daughter. Your faith has just triggered this. Your faith has this. I have not found faith such as this. Jesus was always speaking about faith. What you believe is what you conceive. Listen to this. Go to the next slide, please. I want to read the last, the last part of that for time's sake. Go to the next slide. It said, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bound nor free, there is neither male nor free male, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ's, then are you, whose seed? And heirs according to the promise. I know I'm getting a little teachy today. It's probably not in my, my, my structure. Maybe I've been imparted some of the, the teaching here. But deliverance is a choice. Do you know salvation is a choice? Deliverance is a choice. Salvation is a choice. You decide to follow Jesus. Jesus encountered people who said, let me follow you. And Jesus would just ask them one thing. Would you do this? They wouldn't do it, and they wouldn't go. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. He said, oh, no, no. It's too hard. Too hard. I can't do that. He never followed Jesus. It was a choice. Jesus gave a choice. Follow me. Okay. You don't? You don't. It was up to you to make that choice. I don't think Holy Spirit has changed his mind about choice. Man's will is the only thing that God would not violate. He will not bend man's will to serve him. It has to come out of you to do it. Salvation is a choice. Deliverance is a choice. Go to the next slide. I believe that deliverance is the bread of the children. Why? In Scripture, we see a certain woman who, was a young, who had a young daughter, who had an unclean spirit, heard of him, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek and a Seraphonician by nation. In other words, she was not part of the Jewish culture, but yet she came and fell at Jesus' feet. And she sought him that she would cast forth the devil out of her daughter, that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Hold on. Jesus just called this woman a dog. No, not Jesus. He didn't do that. I, I, don't, I don't understand this scripture. But I think Jesus was not calling her per se a dog. He was just giving an example. Because he knew where the lady's faith was. And because Jesus was also a Jew... By culture, he was saying what every other Jew would have said. And said, hey, the deliverance or this first, we need to feed the children who were the children of Abraham. He said, for the meat is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now, here's what she said. And she answered him and said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs get under the table and eat the children's crumbs. So even if it's a crumb... Of that deliverance, I know it will happen. 
And he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the devil is gone out of your daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter was laying on the bed. Do you understand this now? Deliverance is the bread of the children. Guess what? We're no longer just children that have come from nowhere. The Bible says that we are Abraham's seed. So everything that God promised to Abraham is ours. Everything that Jesus has is ours. Now, it just takes a little while to get that in your head and say, this is, this is deliverance. I have it. I can be set free from this mindset. And you begin to talk different and think different. You choose to believe that Christ came to give us this, and you receive it. Now listen to this. The Old Testament choice, go to the next slide. The Old Testament choice on the Old Covenant, before I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Listen to this. The curse is already here on earth. God does not curse people. It's here already. Many of you are like, huh? Yes. The devil doesn't need to sit around and curse people. He just works under what's already here. A matter of fact, the devil and his demons are illegal here on earth. They don't have their papers. And we are the ICE agents that God has anointed to take them out of here. Now, let's go to the New Testament covenant. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, look at this. Here's the New Testament choice. He that believes on him is not condemned. Next one. No, no, no. Go, go back. Go back. But he that believes not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. Go to the next slide. And it says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest and they are worked in God. Has the law changed? No. There's still a choice. Now, Jesus said, the curse is already here. If you choose to continue in condemnation, so be it. But if you choose me, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You choose me, you come out of the darkness into the light, and you will continue in his word. Then said Jesus in, in John eight thirty one, and then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Which Jews? The ones that, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. See, a lot of people quote the next scripture without quoting the context of the scripture. They quote, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth was in front of Pontius Pilate, and he still didn't know the truth. 
knowing the truth will set you free. But the context of the scripture is this. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And then he said, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Continuing in God's word will deliver you because the truth is going to set you free. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I'm going to share a personal testimony with you of myself. Many people probably don't know. But in 1999, I was diagnosed with schizophrenia and also a manic depressive and bipolar. They put me on Zoloft, Respidol, and told me if I heard any voices to come and get a stronger dose. For two years, I struggled in depression, getting, and just going to the doctor and listening and doing all this stuff. Until one day, I contemplated to commit suicide. And during the contemplation of committing suicide, I said, today is my last day. I will totally take my life because I can't take this anymore. I can't take the oppression that I'm feeling, the depression that I'm feeling, the destruction that I'm feeling. And when that day came, I began to drink, and I took all these pills, and I took all these drugs, and I said, that's it. As I felt my life leaving my body, I heard a voice in heaven and told me, I gave you life, and there's no way you could take it. In the middle of a crazy asylum, what they call it, God spoke to me. Two weeks I spent in that asylum, God spoke to me and said, do you want to be delivered? I came to Christ, but I was still on medication, still receiving this, the, the, these, these doctor's reports saying that all of this stuff was going on and on until one day I met a pastor who said, if you want to be free, you're going to be free indeed. I told the pastor everything that was going on. He said, don't worry, son. We're going to wean you off of this little by little. But as you hear the word and as you begin to get healed in your soul, you're going to begin to understand that this issue has nothing to do with what the psychiatrist is telling you, has everything to do with what the word says. And I began to get free. After a year's process, I was totally set free from all of the depression, totally set free from everything that had me down. Fifteen years, I have not taken one Zoloft. I have not taken one Respidol. Fifteen years, God has kept me free. Because I decided to walk in freedom. I decided to believe his word and take him at his word. Because he said if I obeyed his voice, this would happen. He said if I walked with him, this will happen. You know, it took the disciples a little while to get free. They were right there with the living king of kings. Tangible glory sitting right there. They saw him in glory. They saw him in his miracles. They saw him, but it took them a while to get it in their head that that was the truth and he was going to set them free. 
And when the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, it still takes them a little bit to get out of the tradition, to get out of the mess, to get out of the way of thinking. Until one day Peter writes and he says, the Lord Jesus Christ who set us free from bondage, who came to undo the works of Satan. This is the gospel. And I believe that every Christian, some say, some said to me, Pastor, well, I don't believe that Christians should get delivered. But the Bible says that it is the bread of the children. It is our inheritance. Deliverance is ours. It's not something bad. And I'm walking in Christ, and the more I walk in him, the more I open the word, sometimes it contradicts the way I think, and I'm getting delivered from that way of thinking. Every single day, having a deliverance experience and saying, God, I thank you that that way of thinking and that way of talking, I'm switching that out. I used to cuss like a sailor. You couldn't find one bleepity bleep out of my mouth. The more I got into his word, the more I began to speak like him. Because now scripture begins to change the way I speak. Because scripture will change the way you think. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My abundance in my heart was getting filled with his word. And as my abundance in my heart was getting filled with his word, I was being delivered on a daily basis of how I think and how I spoke. Amen? Amen? Addiction was broken in my life because when I decided that I was going to worship the only true God, addiction is a distortion of worship. So when I began to worship the only true God, my addiction became him and no more addiction had me bound. I challenge you today to obey God. To just say, I'm going to walk out of this. I'm going to walk into the blessing. He said, I will make you a blessing. Do you know we are engrafted into the tree now? Everything that's his is ours. But it takes us a step of faith to walk out of something and into something. I can be delivered from anything that Satan wants to distort my worship with. As long as I know the truth and walk in the truth. Let's stand to our feet today. You know, I don't know where you're at spiritually. But I do know that we all have to walk into something and out of something. I don't know where you're at in your process. But I do know that there is a process. And that God has chosen us to walk through that process. So as I call up the altar ministry team and the pastors. I want to make one altar call today. And that one you're going to say today, you know what? There are some things that I feel as though have been binding me, have been holding me back, and I've stayed in Heron for too long. It is time for me to walk out. It is time for me to walk out and walk into the promise of God. I've stayed in the desert for too long. It is time for me to go into Canaan. It is time for me to take what God has given to me. If that's you, I want you to come up front, and I want us to take that step of faith 
that first step of faith and the obedience in God and say, I want to be delivered today. I want deliverance because deliverance is my inheritance. Deliverance is my bread. Deliverance Jesus came to give you. So I'll call you up front today if you want to walk out and walk into that. Now it takes courage because everything that Abraham did took courage. It takes courage to do what the, what, 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 what the disciples did. And I'll continue part two of this on October 9th. But it takes courage to walk into the next level that God has for you. Now, maybe you're not struggling with something like addiction or something else. Maybe you're just struggling where you're at. Maybe there's some poverty or something that's been holding you back. And you've been going through it over and over again. And God says, all you need to do. I believe that once you pass the test once, you don't need to take it again. But God is calling you into something. Always go back to the first thing God told you to do and obey that. And then everything else will come to pass. Now, if that's you, I want you to come up front also. If you have sickness in your body and you feel as though I've been struggling with this sickness for a very long time. The Bible says that when Jesus cast out, he told that lady, be free from the spirit of infirmity. And I believe that God will release you from that today. But you have to only believe. Only believe. Make a decision to follow heart after God's word. Make a decision to walk into the next level. Make a decision to come out from where you're at. Make a decision to move to where you need to move to. Now, if you're up here, I want, I want all our pastors, everybody to just start ministering as we minister today. We minister today, we sing this song. Are you feeling still in your spirit? And you're staying in your spirit. I hear you. I hear you, Manuel. But I don't know if I'm going to take that step of courage. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. There's a struggle in your mind. God said today, I want to deliver you. It is in my nature to deliver you. It is in my nature to take you in. Maybe there's things. I know like Pastor Cindy taught in some of her courtroom sessions. Maybe there's things that are in your family's bloodline. Something there. And it keeps coming back and saying, we're coming after you too. You just need to be redeemed and just say, you know what? I don't receive that. I am redeemed from the curse. I am in Christ.
song of deliverance from my end. 